It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's late on Sunday, October 5th, 1980. The National League East champion Philadelphia Phillies are touching down at Philadelphia International Airport. Droves of Phillies fans stayed through the chilly October weather to get a glimpse of the team in person and give them a hero's welcome. They celebrated the title while looking ahead to what was going to be, what just had to be, a different best-of-five playoff series this year. Dallas Green stepped up to a makeshift podium, floodlights shining brightly, and told the crowd it was great to be home as winners. He promised that his guys knew how to win, and unlike the Phillies in the 70s, they would get the job done. Burnt and ripped up pennants of the Houston Astros and Los Angeles Dodgers, the two teams battling it out to win the National League West, lay in front of the cheering fans. One of those two teams would be the Phillies' opponent in the NLCS. Like the Expos and Phillies, the Dodgers and Astros just happened to be matched up for the season's final three games. The Astros had to win one game that weekend at Dodger Stadium to punch their ticket to the NLCS. Instead, the Dodgers won all three, each by one run, and improbably forced a winner-take-all tiebreaker in L.A. Monday. Monday was a busy day for the Phillies as well. They had personnel decisions to make, and owner Ruley Carpenter and general manager Paul Owens, along with manager Dallas Green, each wanted rookie phenom Marty Bystrom on the playoff roster. It would take some rule bending to get the September call-up eligible, but Owens was on the case. In order to make room, the Phillies had to cut pitchers Randy Lurch and Nino Espinosa. Lurch hadn't produced as well as the Phillies had hoped he would in 1980. Espinosa was battling injury, and because Espinosa was cut for medical reasons, the Phils had their loophole to get hard Marty eligible. Paul Owens found a way to do it, which, you know, when I found that out, I was, I was certainly elated. We're going to the postseason. I've been in the big leagues a month. It's uh, it all happened so fast. The Phillies worked out at Veterans Stadium Monday, two days after their wild win in Montreal, and got together as a team at night to watch the NL West tiebreaker. After what could have been an historic collapse, the Astros were able to pull it together and take down the Dodgers 7-1. Joe Necro threw a complete game in front of a raucous crowd at Chavez Ravine, and the NLCS was set. The Phillies were facing the Astros. Houston, which was a very well-schooled uh, team, very fundamentally sound. Utility player, Del Unser. Good hitters, outstanding bullpen, and of course they had Nolan Ryan. They, they just were a very, very good, fundamentally sound ball club. While the Phils rested up at home, the Astros hopped on an overnight flight across the country to Philadelphia. The series would begin in Philly the next day, with two games at the Vet before three in the Astrodome. It wasn't obvious yet, but this series was set to be a classic between two hungry teams looking to get closer to their first World Series title. 
If you thought the weirdest and wildest games of the Phillies' 1980 season were behind them, think again. Probably one of the greatest playoffs ever. Welcome back to Phillies Throwbacks, presented by Toyota. I'm your host, Scott Palmer. In our last episode, we heard about how the Phillies came together down the stretch of the 1980 season and clinched their fourth NL East title in five years. It culminated with two gutsy wins in Montreal in the final week of the season. Awaiting the Phillies in the NLCS were the Houston Astros, with future Hall of Famers Joe Morgan and Nolan Ryan, among other All-Stars beating them and getting to the team's first World Series in 30 years would be no easy task. Oh, I was skeptical. They just accomplished an unbelievable ending to an amazing season. But what's it going to mean? But this season felt different. It had to be different for suffering fans and a team on the brink of being blown up. The Phillies were determined and went into game one with their eyes on the prize. from Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. The Eastern Champion Phillies host the Western Champion Astros. 65,277 packed into Veterans Stadium under the lights on October 7, 1980. Below the Philly scoreboard, big letters spelled out, Welcome to the National League Championship Series. The same starting nine from opening day in April took the field to massive applause. The Phillies had a day of rest and were riding high after winning seven meaningful games in a row. The Astros, meantime, arrived in Philadelphia that morning just a bit groggy after holding off disaster against the Dodgers and flying across the country. Yet it was the Astros who drew first blood, taking a 1-0 lead on a Gary Wood RBI single against Steve Carlton in the third inning. It was the only run Carlton would allow in the game. In the sixth, Greg Luzinski, stepped up to the plate with two outs and Pete Rose on first. Luzinski had a tough year, often benched for speedy young Lonnie Smith in left field. But against Astros pitcher Ken Forsh, who the Bull had faced plenty, Luzinski got the nod and made the most of it. Uh, I went 3-2 on him. You know, I fouled a couple good pitches off against him, and uh, he made a mistake, obviously, and uh, I was fortunate enough to hit it out of the ballpark. In the seventh, pinch hitter Greg Gross came off the bench and added an insurance run by singling in Gary Maddox to make it 3-1. Tug McGraw came in, pitched two hitless innings, and locked down game one. Bergman cozy at first with two out. A 3-1 Philly lead. The ball is hit sharply. It's a trio. Manny has it. Throws the first. Phillies win. The Phillies had the chance to take command of the series in Game 2 at the Vet. It was Luzinski again who got the Phils going with an RBI double in the fourth off Nolan Ryan. Gary Maddox drove in two to extend the Phillies' lead before the Astros finally found some offense. Some clutch small ball hits scored three Houston runs and even the game. 
in the bottom of the ninth. The game tied at three. The Phillies had two runners on base with one out for Lonnie Smith in the game as a pinch runner for the Bull innings earlier. Now Lonnie has a chance to win it for the Phillies. One out. A winning run at second. Game number two. Bake McBride represented the winning run on second base. Smith stayed patient and fouled off a few to get the count to three and two, bringing the raucous crowd to its feet. Then he connected on a ball to right. Hit to the right side, right fielder, cool comes, can't play it. Out of turn, McBride held at third. McBride, I don't know if he was looking at Elia, was he? McBride was held to third. He put his hands on his hips in exasperation as he stood on the bag. Third base coach Lee Elia came over to talk with him. They really got confused because I think Lee Elia thought that the right fielder was going to catch the ball. Yep. And he had the runner holding up at third. It's too late then. If he catches a ball, it's a double play. Elia put up the sign originally. As McBride turned to see the ball drop, though, Elia began motioning him home. It was too late. McBride retreated to third as a perfect relay throw made it home quickly. Whether Bake would have been safe at the plate or not will never be known. I can still see Bake and him running back and forth looking at each other like it was yesterday. Phillies broadcaster Chris Wheeler. There's blind spots in the outfield and he got confused. You know, and you don't want to get the guy run out, thrown out the plate, and there was less than two outs. Now, if there's two outs, you're just sending them. You know, you're home. He knew what the outs were. He knew he had on deck. He knew he, he don't want to get a guy thrown out with less than two outs at the plate in a, in a game that big. With one out and the bases now loaded, the likelihood of the Phillies getting the winning hit was strong. It didn't happen. Trio struck out, and Maddox popped out to end the inning. The Astros capitalized, scoring four in the top of the tenth and pulling out game two, seven to four. The next day, Elia shouldered all of the blame from the media and the fans. He felt responsible and remorseful. But the Philadelphia native and future Phillies manager was beloved by his teammates. They had his back. Larry Bow was determined to not let the play bring him and his teammates down. It would have been a close play. You know, but I think Bake would have made it. But you know, obviously hindsight being twenty twenty. So you know, I went in the next day and I tried to keep everybody a little loose. And I said, "Hey guys, we got to win this for Lee." He says, "I said after him holding up Bake, I said the heat's on him, and so we got to win this for Lee." Everybody cracked up and sort of loosened up a little bit. And Lee to this day laughs at that. You know, I talked to Lee a lot, a good friend of mine, and uh, he tells that story like it was yesterday. The Phillies were loose, but they had to deal with reality. They would now be on the road for the final three games of the series, and they had to win two of them. Now now we get down to Houston, and you knew that was going to be a snake pit to play in. They were had good crowds down there, and they had that damn roof, and it was loud. So now we get down there, instead of being up 2-0 with a margin for error, we're 1-1. Game two was the first of four extra inning games in the five-game series. It was already intense but it was about to get insane. That's because the series was now shifting for its final three games to the dreaded Houston Astrodome. It was the loudest sound I've ever heard. You couldn't hear. I mean, it was 
definitely. The loudest I've ever seen or been in a, in a uh, athletic uh, environment. It was it was the dome, and the noise couldn't get out, and it was packed. I mean, it was jam packed. You couldn't think. You know, you couldn't hear. We have never heard anything like that. That Houston Astrodome, fill it with people and then crank them all the way up as loud as you can go. And I mean, it ran right through you. The Astrodome was the noisiest place on earth during that series. Hey, it was a great uh, home field advantage for the Astros at that time. There's no doubt about it. Dubbed the eighth wonder of the world, the Astrodome was massive, fitting for a state in which everything is maximized. A huge American flag hung in dead center, flanked by a Texas Lone Star flag in left and two neon electronic boards in right. They lit up with illustrations like rodeo bulls while the word charge flashed in different colors. I think your depth perception on it until you got used to it, it was a lot different than it was, say, in the vet. Left fielder Greg Luzinski. I mean, you could face J.R. Richards in Houston and it looked like he was picking your teeth with the ball. That's close, you see right on top of you, you know, the, the way the stadium was cut, dugouts were close to home plate, made it made a very small, small batter's box of close pitchers. And the way you saw the ball for me was totally different. Its striped orange seats matched the flamboyant colors of the team that called it home. Its massive roof, which held in the Houston fans' thunderous noise, had glass panels so natural light could shine through. 44,443 fans packed it in for game three of the series and blasted the sound. I mean, a lot of guys put cotton in their ears, it was so loud. Mike Schmidt was one of those guys. I remember standing at third base one time and the noise was so loud I had to drop my glove and cover my ears. In the midst of the chaotic stands, the Houston fans made sure the noise wasn't the only way they could enforce the home field advantage. PR director Larry Shank's family saw it firsthand. My wife was in the stands sitting with the wives and they got beer dumped on them from upper deck. The Phillies were actually the first team to play at the Astrodome when they opened the building with a 2-1 win over Houston on April 12, 1965. But these Phillies were more familiar with their recent, less glamorous track record in this building. We got well-pitched games there, but we never hit there. And uh, the score runs there was difficult for us. The Phillies did their best not to let the Astrodome intimidate them. They didn't have time to be nervous. This was a pivotal game three matchup. The winner would take a commanding 2-1 series lead in the best of five series. In the Phillies pregame show, Harry Callis echoed that sentiment. However, it was Whitey who spoke a prophetic truth. And gentlemen, in my opinion, this game is it. I think whoever wins this game is going to win this thing. I don't agree. Okay. I don't Why? agree. I think uh, I think you got to win two more to win it, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. National League Championship Series. Eastern champion Philadelphia Phillies visiting the Western champion Houston Astros. They split in Philadelphia. We're ready for game three now in Houston. The stage was set for a loud and intense game three. And against knuckleballer Joe Necro, the Phillies scoring issues in this pitcher's park continued. And a two strike count on Pete Swing and a miss. And he's gone. 
Matching Necro pitch for pitch for the Phillies was Larry Christensen. LC had battled through injury all season to even be in this position. Now he was shutting down a powerful Houston lineup. I'm pitching against Joe Necro. I've pitched against Joe Necro quite a bit. I'm up and down with my arm and body, and I've got issues. But I fought through, I think, six innings and got a couple of double plays. I didn't give up any runs, but I remember it was just okay because I didn't feel all that 100%, 100% which I, I never really did, but my arm just didn't have like the, the real strength that, that I that I needed. Joe Necro pitched an unbelievable 10 shutout innings before the Astros went to the bullpen in the 11th. Christensen threw six shutout innings, Dickie Knowles handling the seventh and some of the eighth before Tug McGraw came in to hold the shutout. McGraw gave up nothing in the eighth, ninth, and 10th. Both teams knew it would only take one big hit to win it, and then the Astros got it. Leading off the 11th against McGraw, future Hall of Fame second baseman Joe Morgan smacked a ball over Bake McBride's head and right and legged out a triple. After two intentional walks, Denny Walling hit a ball to left, just deep enough to score Morgan for the winning run. The only run of the 11-inning game put the Phillies on the brink of elimination. Two games to play, both in the Astrodome, and the Phillies had to win them both. Larry Shank absorbed the immediate backlash from the fans and the media. So that here we go again, same old Phillies, you know, and that kind of attitude by the fans and the media hurt a lot, you know, because there was a lot of pressure on us. Broadcaster Chris Wheeler could hardly hide his disappointment on the postgame bus back to the team hotel. And I'm sitting there looking out the window and I, I'm pouting. And I got my chin in my hand and I'm looking out the window like it, the world just ended because it was a really tough loss that game. John Vukovic, a veteran role player and Wheel's good friend, stepped on the bus. And the seat is open beside me. <laughs> he, he, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. He hit me really hard in the arm. Wham! He hits me in the arm and he says, get your bleeping head up. We're going to win this bleeping thing. And I went, yeah, sure we are. He said, shut up. He says, we're going to win this thing. He said, he said, well, you look like the, like your dog just died or something like that. He said, you, you look so miserable. He said, I had to get you out of that because I'm doing the same thing in the damn clubhouse with the players to get their heads up too. And then I get on the bus and I see my one of my best friends looking out the window like that. He said, I could take care of you better than I could take care of them. <laughs> Vukovic, a future Phillies coach, radiated positivity throughout the Phillies beaten down clubhouse. Attitudes had to be right if the Phillies wanted to stage a comeback. When they arrived at the Astrodome the next day, they were set for a battle with their backs pressed firmly against the wall. They had no idea the most normal games of the series were behind them. Dear Phillies fans, drive a true winner, the Toyota Camry. The Camry is the best-selling car in America for 18 years. Now that is a championship tradition.
Plus, the Camry, with available all-wheel drive, offers a true competitive edge. Contact your local Toyota dealer or visit buyatoyota.com to get yours today. And you could drive off in victory. Toyota. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY 2002-2019 sales includes Camry Solera. Game four in Houston. Steve Carlton took the mound, trying to save the Philly season. The Texas sun peeking through the glass Astrodome ceiling and lighting up this dramatic stage. It was elimination day. It was an afternoon game, early, like mid-afternoon, I think. And that was the game uh, that so many weird things happened, I can't even go in it. With two on to start the fourth, Gary Maddox hit a ground ball to Astros pitcher Vern Rule. Manny Trio and Bake McBride advanced on the play, only for umpire Doug Harvey to overturn the call and call it a catch. Obviously the replays they have now would have been a lot easier, but they didn't have them. The Astros threw the ball around as the Phillies were caught standing in confusion. Doug Harvey, the umpire, ends up calling like a triple play. Back to him, he short hops and he forgets for the second brace are going to call it a double play. Aha. Uh -huh. Now how do they get that out of that? Dallas Green came hustling out of the dugout, kicking dirt and getting in the face of any umpire he could. The Phillies bench in unison had Dallas's back and argued right along behind him. But the game was halted for like 20, 25, 30, almost a half an hour. Pitcher Larry Christensen. I remember Paul Owens getting involved in it, and he was up in the stands because they were just right over the dugout, and we were all kind of out of the dugout with, you know, screaming at Doug Harvey and, and Verdon, and it was wild. This is a championship playoff series, ladies and gentlemen, and nobody knows what's happening. In the end, the umpires made a bizarre compromise to make amends for a play they got wrong. They sent McBride back to the base paths and called it a double play instead. But the damage was already done, and the Phils didn't score in the inning. Carlton was frustrated. He had to go back out there and stand around for a long time. Carlton gave up two runs in his start, and it looked like the Phillies were headed toward another suffocating loss. Through seven more innings, they still couldn't muster a single run in the Astrodome. But the Phillies had Pete Rose, who told his teammates all year he was ready to shine in the playoffs. Greg Luzinski remembers that he backed up his vow. Well, I mean, every time he looked up at the board, Pete had two hits. Hit toward the hole, right side, it's in there for a base hit. Here comes Gross around third, he's going to score, throw to third, not in time, back to second, not in time. So, two to one. with that hit, everything swings, the drought is over, look at the Philadelphia dugout, and two runners now in scoring position. In the top of the eighth, Pete finally got the Phillies on the board with an RBI single, scoring Greg Gross. He hustled and advanced to second on the play. 
a Mike Schmidt single, and Manny Trio sacrifice fly later, and suddenly the Phils were in the driver's seat, leading 3-2 in the eighth. But it couldn't be that easier for the Phillies. It never was. In this series, the Phillies dealt with a thorn in their side named Terry Poole. The right fielder was everywhere, making plays in the field and coming up with clutch hits. He finished the series 10 for 19, a ridiculous 1.22 OPS. In the ninth against Warren Brewstar, he did it again. He got tons of hits to keep every time. It seemed like that's what tied the game up. And he got this huge hit to tie the game, put us in the extra innings. I mean, I just, I put my head down, <laughs> stop. And then all the players kind of remember doing the same thing. I mean, it was it was the loudest noise I've ever heard. <laughs> I put, put my head down and started praying to stop because it actually hurt. So I don't know how you deal with it. <laughs> you can't walk off. A double play kept the season alive and brought the game into the 10th. Pete Rose wasted no time getting aboard again with a single to center. Then, up stepped Greg Luzinski, who was ready to be clutch once again. He delivered one of the most memorable moments in Philly's history. Hit down the left field line, toward the corner, it's bouncing off the wall, fielded by Cruz. Here comes Rose around third. By the time the throw from left reached the cutoff man, Rose was only just passing third. Still, this time there was no hesitation from him or Lee Elia. Pete was going home. And Pete's out by 20 feet, but this is one of those situations where, you, as a third base coach, you know when to send a guy. I mean, there's two outs, and you're in the game, game of your life right now. So send him and see what happens, because they have to execute perfectly, and they didn't. Rose, his hair flowing without his helmet, coiled up and barreled over Astros catcher Bruce Bochy at the plate. The ball took a tough hop on the future Giants manager, who couldn't get a hold of it. Rose smacked into him, stomped on home plate, and threw his arms in the air. He sprinted back to the dugout, smacking the hands of others in the powder blue, as the Phillies took a 4-3 lead in the 10th. Well, there's really no way that Pete Rose should be able to score on this ball. Now, Pete Rose is just turning the corner, and Landestoy's throw short hops the catcher. Rose is going to knock it out of his hands all the way. Pete's gutsy play at the plate will go down as one of the most iconic moments in Philly's history. But plenty of its credit, too, should go to Luzinski, who was benched before the game in favor of Lonnie Smith. The bull came up as a pinch hitter and delivered. People probably remember Pete Rose obviously running over Bo Bochy at the plate uh, in, in a close play, but I don't think people remember who hit the ball off the wall. <laughs> it was one of the better moments for me uh, as far as memories go. Well, really look at the play closely, I mean, Bochy really didn't have the ball. 
Uh, I, I'm sure that Pete roaring down there had a lot to do with that. Bochy's no small man, so I got to give uh, you got to give Pete a lot of credit. For that's, uh, that, that's the way he played. I mean, he played tough. What if he What if he held up there? Would we have won that game? We would. Would we have won the series? Tug pitched a one-two-three inning against the heart of the Astros lineup. He leaped on the mound as the final out was recorded. The Phillies had to look up at the scoreboard to make sure it was really true. Fastball hit in the air, shallow center. Maddox coming on. Yes, there will be a fifth game. The season was on the line once again. The Phillies needed their best lineup for the do-or-die game, but they had just used their Cy Young winning ace in Game 4. So Dallas Green did what any manager would do in this situation. He started a rookie with barely a month of big league experience. He started Marty Bystrom. So I hadn't, I hadn't pitched in, I think it was 10 days, 9 or 10 days. After, after Game 4, we, we walked back up to the clubhouse, and, and Dallas came over to me in, in, in my front of my locker, and he said, you got the ball tomorrow, kid. And he handed me the baseball, and I said, I'm ready to go. And uh, so that's how I found out the night before. I did sleep that night, but <laughs> I, I certainly was thinking about it. You know, here we are. This is game five. This is the games that's deciding who's going to the World Series, and we're going up against Nolan Ryan. So now that game's over, you're thinking, well, we got one more game, but we got Marty Bystrom, and they got a guy named Lynn Nolan Ryan. <laughs> so on paper, that's not a good matchup on the road. It was a good thing for the 1980 Phillies that games weren't decided on paper. Bystrom was making just his sixth big league start under unbelievable pressure, but he was still coming off an historic September stretch. Bystrom's teammates exuded faith in him as he warmed up before the game of his life. We had a lot of confidence in him because when he, we called him up at the end of August, he went 5-0. and oh. Shortstop, Larry Boa. So it wasn't like this was going to be his first start. So we got to see him pitch five games, and he didn't get beat one of those games. So our confidence, every time he got to the mound and kept pitching the way he was, our confidence grew with him. Uh, he might have been, next to Carlton, the next best pitcher on our team during that uh, month of September. So young 22-year-old Marty Bystrom, who... In September, went 5-0 for the Bills with an ERA of 1.50. As all the weight of the 166-game schedule on his shoulders. Kid has pitched just sensational baseball for the Phillies in this stretch drive. You know, it's, it, it really gave me a tremendous amount of confidence, too, going into that, knowing that Dallas had the confidence in, in someone like me to put me out there in that situation. I'm sure a lot of the veteran players were thinking, what the heck is he doing? Hi, everybody from the Astrodome in Houston. Welcome to Phillies baseball. League championship series game five. It can't go anymore. Phillies and the Houston Astros at two games apiece. Harry Callis along with Rich Ashburn. Bystrom took the mound in front of a wild Astrodome atmosphere and settled in quickly. All he did was pitch in big games since he came to the Phillies in September. This wasn't very different, he thought. If anything works in Marty Bystrom's favor is that he just doesn't know <laughs> what's going on down there. <laughs> he had a wake-up call immediately. Bystrom gave up a first-inning run, and the crowd became deafening right away. The first hitter, Terry Poole, got a base hit off of me, and. Uh, so it was like right into the fire, right out of the gate. 
Base hit Terry Poole. So Poole has really been a top out in this league championship series. Opens Houston's first with a single to left. It could have been easy to let the game get away from him there. Luckily, Bystrom took a page out of Steve Carlton's playbook. The way that everything bounced around in there and echoed, it was super, super loud. And uh, just to try to quiet your mind down, you try to shut some of it out. So Lefty would put the cotton in his ears for that reason. And uh, so he said, why don't you try it? And so that's what I did. Bystrom settled in after that with some help from his teammates. I don't remember what inning it was, but I think uh, we had a couple guys on and, and Boa came up to the mound. He wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, if the ball was hit back to me, that he's covering second on a double play ball. And I think he just wanted to kind of calm things down a little bit. Maybe I just gave up two hits and then first and second, something like that. And, and he, says, he says, hey, he says, relax, relax. There's only like millions of people watching us out here. <laughs> In the second, Bob Boone came up clutch again. With two outs, many would elect to walk the suddenly red hot Booney with a base open. Instead, he saw a pitch from Nolan Ryan and drove in two runs. Boone, a base hit center field. Matty Trio scores. Maddox is going to score, and the Phillies lead it 2-1. So not walking Bob Boone. Cost Bill Verdon a couple of runs. A line single up the middle by Boone. In the bottom of the second, Manny Trio and Bake McBride came up clutch in the field. Earlier in the season, the right field second base tandem two players who pride themselves on their defense, couldn't complete a relay from the outfield corner. It allowed a run to score, and it ate at them. After the game, McBride and Trio went back on the field and practiced relays from the right field corner over and over again. In the second inning of game five, Craig Reynolds smacked the ball over the first base bag and down the line. Catcher Luis Pujols was already halfway home when McBride got the ball to Trio some 30 feet behind first base. With his gold glove arm, Trio fired a missile over a ducking Pete Rose and right into the glove of Bob Boone. Pujols arrived at the exact same moment. Smash, fair ball down the right field line, heading toward the corner. Pujols is being waved around. Manny Trio, throw to the plate is in play. Oh. What a great relay by Trio. What a brilliant relay by Manny Trio. Pujols out at the plate on just an unbelievable relay throw. Here it is. Executed perfectly. Reynolds with his first base hit, and he just got inside the chalk line. Baked to the ball in a hurry. Trio made this play. Perfect relay. Wow. Threw it where Booney could catch it and make the tag at the same time. Bake, Bake was instructed to just get the ball to Manning. That was like a wow moment right there. It was like, oh my God, that was amazing. Another play at the plate in the fifth on a ball from Rose held the Phillies lead and once again demonstrated Boone's toughness at the plate. Dallas Green's fundamentals were paying off. From there, Bystrom went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Nolan Ryan and didn't allow another earned run. He stayed on the mound until an error allowed the Astros to tie it in the sixth. I was a little disappointed in, in the outing, uh, but, but I, did, I did what I was supposed to do. I, I kept, kept the team in there with a the chance to win the ball game and, and tried to eat up some innings. But with the bullpen in for the seventh, disaster struck.
Base hit. Fake McBride. Poole is going to score. And Houston leads it 3-2. to And this place is going wild. Uh-oh. Another run scores. Houston leads it 4-2 on a wild pitch. hit well, Gaffer, extra bases, Walling scores, Art Howe with a triple and Houston leads it 5-2. The Astros led 5-2 when Nolan Ryan came back to the mound for the eighth inning. They could have just brought the champagne to the Astros clubhouse right then. And, and we all knew his situation where he, when he had a lead going to the eighth, he won 97% of the, the games he ever pitched. It was like, <laughs> we know what we're dealing against here. We're not going to do anything different, but we're going to do the best we can possibly do. Well, Philadelphia used this, the eighth inning yesterday, to come back. They were trailing by two. The extraordinary events of that evening have been recounted to you not once, but several times tonight. Let's see if there's any comeback now left in the fields. They have to do it against one of the great pitches. I'll never forget how tense those games were when you would get involved in those. They give Nolan Ryan a three-run lead, and that crowd, it's just deafening. Before leading off the eighth, Larry Ball was grabbed by Mike Schmidt just outside the dugout. He told Boa if he got on, the Phillies would win. And it wasn't just Schmidt. Everyone on the Phillies bench stayed positive. We never really doubted ourselves. We always had confidence in ourselves. I think everybody did. Seeing how we're playing, knowing your teammates, uh, we just felt that good. Like I said, it, it had that whole feeling of we're the best, we're going to win this thing, but this is do or die. I let off the inning, I think it was the first or second pitch with a hit. Line drive, base hit, left center field. Larry leads off the Phillies eighth with a single. Phillies sixth hit off Ryan. And when I got up the plate, I, I singled off the first pitch at the middle, and I didn't even think about it or care who was on the mound. I was going to get a hit. And then Booney hits a ball to Nolan Ryan that nine times out of ten should have been a double play ball, and he boots it. Off the glove of Ryan, and it's going to be safe all around. Phillies have two men on base and nobody out in the eighth inning. And then Greg Gross comes up and lays down that perfect punt down the third baseline, which was his doing, totally his on his own. Gross a bunt, it's a good one. Nolan Ryan, no play anywhere, a bunt single. Greg Gross and the Phillies have him loaded. Nobody out, Greg Gross a bunt base hit. And the Phillies fighting to come back. Within five or six pitches, we had the bases loaded and nobody out. Upstep, Pete Rose, hitting 400 in the series to that point. I remember hearing him walking up the home plate and screaming at Nolan Ryan saying, you're not getting me out. And Nolan ended up walking him. 3-2 pitch, wide ball four, he walked him, Boa comes in to score, it's a 5-3 ball game, bases still loaded, and out of the dugout comes Bilbert. Nolan Ryan was out, and against Houston's Joe Sampito, Backup catcher Keith Moreland pinch hit and knocked in another run with a fielder's choice. 
With one out, the Phillies' best offensive weapon stepped to the plate. But coming off his heroics in Montreal, Mike Schmidt's bat turned quiet in the NLCS. With a chance to make history, Schmidt shockingly struck out. Out a fastball on the outside corner. Two down in the eighth inning, and Del Unser coming out to pinch hit. I'm very disappointed in myself in that series. Uh, I, I might have had one hit, I guess, but uh, I was not a factor at all. Schmidt had little time to feel sorry for himself. He went back to the dugout and pumped up his teammate at the plate, Del Unser. The role player on the bench was being put in a very big spot. But Unser was ready for it, thanks to some pregame work with batting coach Billy DeMars. And I, I didn't feel right. And I said to Billy DeMars, I said, let's go down in the cage. I'm, I need to, to work it out with the bat. He says, what? <laughs> what do you want to do? We already, you know, had our pregame work but uh, to come, but I, I wanted to get down early and get some extra rips. So we did. And he laughed and we went down there and we straightened out a few things. and. And boom, right, base hit, double. Unser, a base hit to right center field. Phillies have tied it. Aviles on his way to third. Del Unser, a pitch single, and this is a 5-5 to ball game. What a comeback by the Phils, down 5-2 to Nolan Ryan, but a big pitch single by Del Unser. Unser's clutch hit tied the ball game and breathed new life into the Phillies' dugout. It also stopped Mike Schmidt from thinking about a long winter ahead of hiding his face from Philadelphians. Biggest hit of my career, actually. Del Unser got it. <laughs> the Phillies weren't done yet. Manny Trio had already made a difference with his arm. And that morning before the primetime game, Trio told his wife Maria that the Phillies were going to win that night and he would be the series MVP. This was his chance to make good on that promise. One strike pitch. Trio a line drive. Fair ball. Left field line. Aviles scores. There's Del Unser being waved around. He's going to score. Matty Trio at third and triple. Phillies lead at 7-5. to five. What a comeback by this great Trio pumped his fist to third as the dugout erupted, slamming the helmets of Aviles and Unser as they sprinted back in. It capped off an incredible series for Manny Trio, who would, after all, lock up the MVP trophy. Manny Trio was like an unsung hero. He, he played unbelievable. The ball was handed to Tug McGraw in the eighth, aiming for a two-inning save. The veteran had been unbelievable in the second half of the season. No one could have foreseen a Tug slip-up. It happened at a bad time. Ground ball, base hit past the diving Pete Rose, heading for third base is Reynolds. Perry Poole gets his fourth hit of the ball. Ball, base hit left field. Landeskoy punches a single to left, and it's a seven to six ball game. The Phillies lead down to a run. Little punch shot. That's going to drop for a hit. Terry Poole is going to score, and this game is tied at seven. I remember Terry Poole in that series had probably the most 
memorable series I've ever seen a hitter hit. Shortstop, Larry Boa. We did take the crowd out of it. They went from the, the noise and, and you can't hear yourself talk or think. And then it got real quiet and I'm saying, okay, I like this. And then they came back and then the noise got it. The noise factor was off the charts. It was just like a heavyweight fight. Mike Schmidt. It was like one blow after another. They'd, they'd give us a blow and then we'd come back with a blow and then umpires would give us a blow and then they'd come back with a blow and then one crazy thing after another and I don't know how the heck we got out of there with a victory. Tunk gave up both runs with two outs. Green kept him on the mound and McGraw got out of it with the game now tied at seven. In the ninth, in came starting pitcher Dick Ruthven from the bullpen in the most intense situation he had ever encountered. Dick Ruthven stepped in and he took a deep breath out there and he won that series. Ruthven pitched a perfect ninth. Then in the tenth, Del Unser stayed hot with a double down the right field line. Smash over the head of Bergman down the right field line. Unser on his way to second base and Dell will reach with a double. So Unser, a screamer, took a bad hop right over the head of Bergman. And Unser two for two in this game at second base with one down. Now an opportunity rested in the hands of Gary Maddox. The Secretary of Defense had an up and down season. He struggled to find consistency at the plate. He was still great defensively, but his mistakes, like the one in the San Diego Sun, seemed to overshadow his whole body of work. He was the target of tirades from Dallas Green and Paul Owens and was never sure he'd be in the starting lineup on a regular daily basis. With one swing, he would overcome those tribulations. Maddox dug into the box in front of a nervous Astrodome crowd and looked for a first pitch fastball from pitcher Frank LaCourt. He didn't miss it. Well, a base hit, I believe, Maddox. Yes, it is. Gary Maddox a hit. Phillies take an 8-7 to seven lead. Maddox at second base. Phillies lead 8-7 in the 10th inning. Oh, what a big blow by Gary. Unser scores. There's the dugout. But it's still not over. The clutch two-out double was the biggest hit of Gary Maddox's career, and to that point, likely the biggest hit in Phillies history. Dick Ruthen came back out for the 10th with confidence soaring and history in his back pocket. Dick Ruthen has ice water in his veins. He got a pop-up to short and a line drive catch by Maddox in center. Then it was Maddox who fittingly closed out one of the craziest playoff series in Major League history. 3-2 pitch, swing and a drive right center field. Maddox is there! <laughs> Tim McCarver laughed hysterically as Callis made the triumphant call. The Phillies in their powder blue uniforms and maroon caps streamed out from the dugout toward Ruthven on the mound. As a group, they turned and sprinted to center field, where Maddox held the final out up high in his bare hand. Maddox was mobbed and lifted on the shoulders of his teammates. More than any other Philly, in my opinion, he's to be given credit. Gary Maddox, There's big Gary face Maddox. hit. Well, Look at Gary. <laughs> I'll tell you, a season of ups and downs and highs and lows ends up with the Phillies in the 1980 World Series. Dallas Green hunting Paul Owens. The image of Gary Maddox pumping his fist while being held up in the middle of the massive shocked Astrodome is an iconic one in Philly's history. It represented the depth 
of a fantastic team that neither the series MVP nor the league's MVP was being held up as the hero. It represented the improbability of the moment after two extra inning wins in a row. Most importantly, it represented the relief and euphoria as a team that had suffered on the big stage had finally gotten over the hump. Larry Boa threw his arms in the air as the ball flew towards center field. When Maddox squeezed the glove, the relief hit. It was like somebody picked a big burden off our shoulders, no question about that. I really felt and, and uh, you know, you, all, you always respect who you play, but I just felt that what we went through, not just in 80, but in, in the mid-70s, coming up short all the time, one game here, one game there, I just felt very confident we were going to win it. The Phillies took the long walk to the visiting clubhouse, where Champagne was waiting on ice. Larry Christensen always dreaded the long journey after tough games. This walk, though, was easy. He had a great celebration in Houston and, you know, the Pope kissing every, you got to stay away because Pope loved to kiss, kiss everybody, you know, and so all the, all the coaches and, and Dallas and owner Ruley Carpenter and, and, and then, and then, you know, the Richie Ashburns and the, and the, uh, Harry Calluses, don't forget them and, and McCarver. Well, they just got the players in here and we're going to try to get some more up here in a minute. Marty, come up here, pal. Here's a guy, Marty Weistra. Marty, were you scared at all? Nervous at all? No, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. Uh, I just tried to go out there and pitch the same way I've been pitching this last month. And... Marty, I think you got ice water in your veins. I think you're going to have a little champagne now. Great year. They would have never done it without you, pal. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to have a lot of champagne tonight. Okay, buddy. Thank nice you. going. Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn had drinks dumped on their heads as they interviewed players on the podium. The team received its trophy for the first National League pennant since Ashburn's Whiz Kids in 1950. Manny Trio then received his NLCS Most Valuable Player Award. Upstairs, Chris Wheeler finished the broadcast and rushed down to the clubhouse. One of the greatest times I've ever had in a clubhouse. Harry and Whitey were down there doing the, uh, doing the interviews. Andy and I were up in the booth. But I remember leaving the booth that night and uh, I didn't take the elevator. I ran down the steps from the Astrodome press box, ran down the steps into the clubhouse to see my buddies. And uh, oh man, I got soaked. The celebration continued as the team boarded buses to the after party. John Vukovic sat right next to where he assured his friend Wheels that the Phillies would come back and win. Players continued to share hugs and reminisce this crazy series. Mike Schmidt stood up to make sure a young player got his deserved recognition. Schmidt was, you know, giving props to, to certain guys and, um, and he said, how about Marty Bystrom? And uh, I wasn't expecting that. And uh, that, really, uh, that really hit me that, uh, wow, here's, here's a guy, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and, and he's respecting what I did to help them. And uh, that really made me feel good. Tim McCarver said on the broadcast during Game 5 that the World Series would feel like a social event compared to the tense back-and-forth battle that was the NLCS. The Phillies felt that way as well. They knew their opponents would be the Kansas City Royals. The AL champs had just taken down the mighty New York Yankees in the ALCS and stayed in Manhattan until they learned whether they were getting on a plane to Texas or headed down I-95 to Philly. But for the Phillies, it didn't matter who they were playing. 
They had gotten over the hump, past the series that haunted their past. This was their time. They were riding a wave of confidence that surely, definitely, had to take them all the way. Yeah, there was a feeling that we finally won the LCS. Phillies broadcaster, Chris Wheeler. And to win it the way they did in five games with four extra inning games, you had to think, who the heck can beat this team? You know, when we'd gone through that series, I think when we came back to Philly, Bob Boone, we, we had a feeling inside like, man, <laughs> Kansas City's got no chance. It was just overwhelming as, as a team that we're going to win this. After we've gone through that in Houston, we're going to win this. And then we were kind of like the team that wouldn't die. Mike Schmidt. I don't know that there's any team that could have beaten us in the World Series that year. Thanks for listening to episode four of Philly's Throwbacks, presented by Toyota. I'm your host, Scott Palmer. In the next episode, our five-part series concludes as the Phillies battle the Kansas City Royals for baseball supremacy. The hungry, battle-tested Phils were facing a confident team also searching for its franchise's first ring. The battle was as grand as the stage. The crowd will tell you what happens. This story was written and edited by Graham Foley. Additional editing and production assistance by David Katai.